Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 49, The Maturing Catherine. Last week, we introduced you to the love of Catherine's life, Grigory Potemkin. We also recounted the tragic death of Grand Duke Paul's wife, Natalia, during childbirth, and the introduction of his new wife, Sophia Dorothea of Württemberg. The body of Natalia was barely cold when Catherine began the new search for bride for her son Paul. She needed a child from him to continue the line of the Romanovs, and in the back of her mind, an heir to bypass her growingly annoying son, the Grand Duke. Catherine again turns to her friend, Frederick II of Prussia, who offers the princess Sophia, who is all of 16 years of age, and quite a beauty. Catherine says of the young girl in a letter to her friend, Madame de Bilke, quote, I confess to you that I am infatuated with this charming princess, but literally infatuated. She is precisely what one would have wished, the figure of a nymph, a lily and rose complexion, the loveliest skin in the world, tall and well-built. She is graceful. Sweetness, kindness, and innocence are reflected in her face. Quickly, the young woman was baptized into the Russian Orthodox religion with the name Maria Fyodorovna. The future Tsarina was overjoyed with things, even with the boorish Paul. She writes, I swear by this letter to love and adore you all my life and to be always attached to you and nothing in the world will make me change with respect to you. Those are the sentiments of your ever-affectionate and faithful betrothed. A year away from burying Natalia, Paul and Maria were married. Catherine hoped that Paul would mature now and become ready to learn how to handle the affairs of state. Instead, much to her chagrin, he became obsessed with his Prussian heritage, his father's heritage. He began to order soldiers around, much like Peter III did when he was young. Paul had men beaten with a knout for the smallest infractions. He was mad with power, waiting for the day he would take over Russia from his hated mother. When he was Tsar, Russia would become Prussian, whether they liked it or not. Catherine, for her part, was deeply disappointed with her son, but not with her daughter-in-law, Maria as on December 12, 1777, Maria gave birth to a son, Alexander, who was to be Tsar one day, and the man who stopped Napoleon's advance into Russia 35 years later. Catherine, who had Paul painfully snatched from her side when she was born by Empress Elizabeth, does the same to the young couple, carrying Alexander off to raise and educate from that moment on. Over the years, Catherine would grow more and more enamored of the young boy because of his wit, intelligence, and devotion and love of his grandmother. More children would have followed through the years as Maria was a breeding machine. Next up was another boy who was named Constantine after the city of Constantinople, which the Empress had her sights set on. In total, Maria gave birth to ten children, four boys and six girls, 
two of the boys were to become Tsars, Alexander I and Nicholas I, with one girl, Catherine, becoming the Queen of Württemberg, and another, Anne, becoming the Queen of the Netherlands. These were also unusually healthy children, as only one died in childhood, Olga, and one who died as a teenager, Helen. All the rest reached adulthood. At the time of Alexander's birth, a crisis began over the succession of the crown to Bavaria. On one side was Frederick II of Prussia, and on the other, Joseph II of Austria. To Frederick, the Habsburgs of Austria were an affront to his dignity, as he once wrote, Better eternal war than see Bavaria under the guardianship of the arrogant Habsburgs. Frederick, of course, courted Catherine, reminding her of her past, her daughter-in-law on all that he had done for his Russian sister. Joseph II and his co-ruler, Maria Theresa, who detested Catherine, became very friendly in their correspondence with the Empress. Which side to choose? The Russians were on friendly terms with both the Habsburgs of Austria and the Hohenzollerns of Prussia. She wanted advice from her friend Voltaire, but he unfortunately died on May 30, 1778. The Empress thought carefully about which side to choose, but she made her decision that the Austrians must give up their claim to the throne of Bavaria. Frederick was elated. Joseph was disappointed, but Maria Theresa was infuriated. On May 13, 1779, the Treaty of Cession was signed by both parties. What happens from here, though, is strange, as the relationship between Russia and Austria improves despite the setback, and the Prussian relationship slides dramatically because of one person, Grand Duke Paul. Catherine became increasingly irritated with the Prussian support of Paul and his future regency, which the Empress thought was undermining her rule. Joseph, on the other hand, seized the opportunity and planned, much to the horror of his mother, Maria Teresa, to meet face to face with Catherine. The Tsarina was impressed. As she wrote to Potemkin, quote, Little Father Prince, I think no living sovereign comes near him so far as merit, knowledge, and politeness are concerned. I am enchanted to have made his acquaintance. She further went on to say her former lover, and now chief advisor who is away in southern Russia, quote, Be assured that my friendship for you is equal to your attachment for me, which is beyond price in my eyes. Alexander Dmitrievich Lanskoy sends his greeting. It is unbelievable how much we miss you. While Potemkin was above all others, Lanskoy also accompanied Catherine with Grigori to a meeting with Joseph II. This young man had supplanted the last two lovers of the Empress, ones Zorich and Rimsky-Korsakov, as he had greater charm, wit, and intelligence than the last pair. Whomever was at her side, the developing of the political relationship with the Austrian king was most important to her and the court. Now, Frederick II, now he was rightfully concerned, so he sent his nephew and heir, Prince Frederick William, to mend the fences and break up the bond to Austria. He could not 
have picked a worse person to cajole Catherine. The Empress found the prince to be cold, crude, boring, and obtuse. She wouldn't spend any time with the man, leaving that to Potemkin and Lanskoy. When he found that insulting, he turned to Grand Duke Paul, which, in Catherine's eyes, was the last straw. Both of Catherine's sons, yes, she had another, illegitimate son named Bobrinsky, were major disappointments to her, but the latter was never a threat, but Paul most certainly was, and now he was being more and more open with his distrust and dislike for his mother. She had her people keep an eye on him, as she planned to bypass her son if and when she passed away. The Prussian-Russian Treaty expired in 1780 and was not renewed. Maria Theresa died that year as well, leaving Joseph to strengthen the relationship with Russia. Now was the time to hatch the plan to remove the hated Turks from the land of the Greeks where the Russian Orthodox Church was born of. She needed the help of the Austrians to pull off her wild and ambitious plans. What Catherine had in mind was to annex all of the Crimea and set up a new country of Dacia to take over Moldavia, Wallachia, Bessarabia, and other lands in the area of the Dnieper and Bug rivers. The Empress wanted her two grandsons to rule the two empires, Alexander, Russia, and Constantine, Dacia. The Austrians were not thrilled with the prospects, nor was Frederick II. The two sides squabbled over the territories they would control, that is, if they defeated the Turks, which was no sure thing, despite the weakened nature of that state. Paul, for his part, was becoming increasingly hostile towards Catherine, having been deprived of raising his two sons. The Empress allowed them to raise the daughters, but not Alexander and Constantine. She had too much invested in them to allow Paul and Maria to take control of their upbringing. What Catherine did was to allow the Grand Duke and Duchess to go on a trip through Europe to visit all the major foreign courts, to take their mind off of things in St. Petersburg. Nikita Panin, who was now in his 70s and angry with Catherine, tried to convince Paul and Maria that they should not go on this trip, as it was a plot to get them out of the country and deny them their place in the line of secession for the Russian throne. He almost succeeded, but when they eventually made their way off, where they trounced around Europe and impressed no one. Grigory Orlov reappeared at this time, but all was not well with Catherine's old lover, as he was quickly going insane. He was haunted by the assassination of Peter III and the death of his wife. In April of 1783, he died in a house in Moscow. Catherine was deeply saddened as she writes to her friend Grimm, quote, Although I was well prepared for this painful event, I confess that it causes me the sharpest affliction. Prince Orlov's genius was immense. With all his great qualities, he had little perseverance. Nature had spoiled him, and he was lazy about anything that did not come to his mind that very moment. There was something curious about the death of Prince Orlov. Count Panin died fourteen or fifteen days before, and neither of the two knew of the other's death. 
these two men who were always of opposite opinions and did not like each other in the least, must have been greatly surprised to meet again in the other world. With the death of these two great Russians, Catherine pressed on with the Turks. She made a deal with Khan Shagin Giray to become the pro-Russian ruler of the Crimea, which was done with little resistance. The Austrians and the French were unhappy, but could do little to stop it. On July 21, 1783, Russia controlled the Black and the Caspian Sea when the Empress proclaimed it through a manifesto announced that day. Peter the Great must have been smiling at that moment. Potemkin was to run that part of Russia, which he did with gusto, building many cities throughout the region until his death. Lanskoy was to die soon thereafter, on June 25, 1784, from diphtheria. Some accused Potemkin of having his rival poisoned, and there may be something to it. Still, Catherine was saddened, but moved on, as she was now 55 and ready to get on with her life. Potemkin was now made the Prince of Taurida to help build up what was now called White Russia. He was accused of diverting large sums of money into his own personal coffers, which was true. But despite disappointing Catherine terribly, he was able to keep his position, but not without a growing hatred of him from the people and the Empress's court. Catherine went on to take on Alexander Ermolov as a lover, but he didn't last long when she was introduced by Potemkin to one Alexander Mamanov. But a new man entered the fray, the French ambassador, Comte Louis-Philippe de Ségur, who was a mere 32. He was sent to the court of the empress to improve the relations between the two countries, which Catherine was not opposed to. While Louis XV annoyed her, Louis XVI was someone she felt warm towards. In August of 1786, Frederick II died, leaving the country to his greatly disliked, Frederick Wilhelm III. Now Catherine was ready to take aim, take aim at Constantinople and a further expansion of her realm without the opposition of Frederick the Great. Next week, we follow Empress Catherine on her journey to the Crimea, the death of her love Potemkin, and the end of her glorious and controversial reign as Tsarina and Empress of all Russia. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of May 15th through the 21st. In 1125, Vladimir Monomakh, the Russian prince, died. In 1157, Yuri Dolgeruki, the Russian prince, is murdered. In 1389, we have the birth of Dmitry Donskoy, Grand Prince of Moscovy. In 1725, the Order of St. Alexander Nevsky is instituted in Russia by Empress Catherine I. It would later be discontinued and then reinstated by the Soviet government in 1942 as the Order of Alexander Nevsky. In 1727, Empress Catherine I of Russia died. In 1864, Russia declares an end to the Russia-Circassian War, and many Circassians are forced into exile. The day is designated the Circassian Day of Mourning. In 1868, 
Tsar Nicholas II of Russia is born. In the Kodinka tragedy, a mass panic on the Kodinka field in Moscow during the festivities of the coronation of Russian Tsar Nicholas II results in the deaths of 1,389 people. In 1960, Nikita Khrushchev demands an apology from U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower for U-2 spy plane, spy plane flights over the Soviet Union, thus ending the Big Four summit in Paris. And in 1988, in the Soviet war in Afghanistan, after more than eight years of fighting, the Red Army begins its withdrawal from Afghanistan. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please visit us at Facebook at the Russian Rulers Podcast History Group, where we had some spirited discussions last week, for which I want to thank Vincent, Steve, Logan, Francois, Darren, Pascal, and James, amongst others. Now, don't forget to leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.